good prayer to sing right before opening God's word together. Uh, last week here at Elmhurst CRC, we began uh, a series for the next month called the Dog Days of Summer. Dog days being days like today where it's so warm out, you just want to be lazy and not do much. But that's not what the series is about. This series centers on two remarkable Old Testament characters, Joshua and Caleb, and today we're going to talk about their names in particular. Now, if you've ever had a pet, it's extremely fun to name pets, especially if you can figure out uh, physically appropriate names for them. For example, I have a brother-in-law who once had a cat, small, dark cat. It had jet black legs with white feet, and he called it Spats. Some of you are old enough to remember what spats are. Had a friend who had a little black terrier, and she said about this thing, it's so small and it's black and I just want to eat her up, so I'm going to call her Olive. <laughs> know what I'm saying? When we lived in California, this one's a little more difficult. Uh, we had some friends who had a dog that uh, had an accident and lost one of his four legs, and they renamed this dog Trike. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> Should feel sorry for this dog. It was the happiest dog, and it, it got around incredibly well. Hmm. So what's in a name? Shakespeare famously wrote... That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Juliet says this in Romeo and Juliet as if to say, it doesn't matter what you call something, it matters how it is, right? And she's speaking out of her budding affection for Romeo, who has the last name Montague, Juliet of the surname Capulet. And of course, if you keep reading, it turns out their names do make a difference and it doesn't end all that well. If you're an American and your last name is Trump, you will get some quizzical looks on the street. If you're in Illinois and your last name is Madigan, people may uh, grit their teeth a little bit at you these days. Think of the poor folks who are innocently running around with the last name of Bartman until that fateful day in 2003. I mean, seriously, life was fine and then suddenly it was not. There is quite a bit that goes on in our names, our first name, our last name, even in a nickname. Later this month, I will be camping with my four older siblings, and they will call me things that none of you call me, <laughs> just to keep me in my place. Now, there is probably a name, a label, a nickname, likely from your childhood, that can quickly stir emotions in you. Perhaps an insult or a negative word that can reduce you to feelings of smallness and inferiority with just a couple syllables. This morning, we are going to investigate what is and what is not bound up in our names and where the presence of God intersects with what we are called what we have been called. We are going to visit the Old Testament again and walk along with this man with a difficult name of Caleb. 
Last week, we were introduced to the story of Caleb and Joshua. Here's the, uh, the thumbnail sketch, the cliff note version. Caleb and Joshua were two among 12 who were chosen out of the entire leaders of the people of God, the Israelites, to spy out the promised land. Are there trees? Are there no trees? Are there cities? Do they have big walls? Is the soil fertile? Is it lousy soil? You 12, go check it out. And then they were supposed to make a report back to Moses and God's people on what kind of land it was and what it would take to move into that promised land and make it their own. I'm going to read a few verses from the book of Joshua, chapter 14, as Caleb, an old man in Joshua 14, recollects these fateful days. Now the people of the tribe of Judah approached Joshua, who is the leader of Israel at this point, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, now there is a mouthful, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, to Joshua, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. And of course, we probably don't remember that. I do want you to remember this name, though. Like, the whole bad news and good news of this message is bound up in this name, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Here's what they're remembering. Caleb says about himself, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, the promised land. And I brought him back a report according to what was in my heart. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me, the other 10 spies, they made the hearts of the people melt in fear. This was last week's message. Caleb and Joshua came back and they gave a report that was full of faith. Like there are huge obstacles, there are huge people, there are huge cities, but God told us to do this, we can do this. The other 10 spies gave a report of fear. We can't do this, we're tiny. We're like grasshoppers compared to the rest of these people. Notice how much heart is in these short verses. Caleb says, I came back and I had to say what was welling up in my heart. I had to speak according to my conscience, which was, if God has guided us, he is going to provide for us as we go into this new place. But the other 10 brought back a report that made the hearts of the rest of the people melt with fear, paralyzed with fear. We can't do this. We better go backwards. And then Caleb finishes his recollection this way. I, however, I followed my Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked, Caleb, will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So in recounting this story, Again, there is a lot of heart. And did you hear how many times the word wholehearted is used? I mean, this word means you are all in if you are wholehearted. It means you are passionate, unreserved, loyal, enthusiastic. Caleb wholeheartedly returned from his spying mission saying, we can do this. When a heart is full of the promises of God, there isn't so much room for other stuff. You know what I'm saying? If your heart is full of the promises of God, there's not that much room for other stuff. Now, don't get me wrong, we're all human beings, and there is always enough crazy to fill the cracks. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, no, no matter how much you love God, no matter how healthy you are, there is still crazy in the cracks. However, if your heart is full of the promises of God, it means there is not that much room left over for roommates such as fear and anxiety. Like, the promises of God, like, fills the house and crowds them out. A handful of years ago, I ran into a young man uh, who was just starting his career as a chaplain at Loyola University. I mean, this guy was like 25 years old, just had graduated from seminary, just had started as a chaplain, and he spoke about how family members, friends of his, students that he was just, had just begun serving on Loyola's campus routinely told him he was an idiot because he was going into a career as a pastor. Now, specifically that word, pastor, made people just roll their eyes. Like, what? You're going to be a professional Christian, dude? How stupid. And after he related some stories about kind of like the blows and arrows he was taking over his career choice, this young man teared up and in, a front, in front of a room of old veteran pastors talked about what an honor and a privilege it was to identify himself as a pastor, to be a spiritual shepherd for other human beings. I mean, what an audacious thing to say, I try to help people spiritually. I try to help people experience God. Now, I left the room that day thinking, this guy is going to make an amazing difference in the world, and he is. And I left the room thinking, I need to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with myself, because on lots of days, I think I'm more proud to be a piano player than a pastor. And I said to my five years ago self, like, man, Greg, if God is really asking you to serve Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, you need to look yourself deep in the eyes again and experience a wholehearted joy of what God is inviting you into, even if it's countercultural, even if people don't get it, even if people think you're a little insane and insult you from time to time, even if it's not as cool as being a musician. And I'm happy to stand here five years later and say, this young man helped get my soul right and helped me recommit all in, wholehearted. Yes, God, I'm going to serve your church. Even if I can never play the piano again, it's okay. You're asking me to do something even more significant, perhaps. How does one become wholehearted like Caleb? I don't think it's through personal effort. I don't think it's through willpower. You just can't wake up one morning and say, you know what? I've just been lollygagging it through my life. Today's the day. I'm going to lose 40 pounds and become spiritually wholehearted. It's not going to work. What we can do to become more wholehearted is to create the space, create the margin, the white space in our life and to turn to God and say, God, I want to be wholehearted and here's more of my time, here's more of my affection, 
Here's more of myself for you. And then it's totally on the Spirit of God to come in and fill up the margin in your heart. Like, we can create margin. Only God can fill it up. There was a moment in the video that we just watched about the Nigerian ministry. Uh, I don't know if you caught this. There's this man, Sam, the director of the House of Rekab. He was talking about serving young people who came from northeastern Nigeria, a region influenced by the terrorist group Boko Haram. They came to this ministry, and he said that after being there for a year or more, that they began to experience new dreams, that they were trading in dreams of revenge for dreams of service or careers as doctors or teachers. Did you catch this? I mean, this is what happens when people become more wholehearted. We lose our natural inclinations, and God plants the seed of some more noble and more beautiful dream. By the time Caleb was 40 years old in the Bible, he had arrived in this place of being able to dream God's dreams after him, of being wholehearted. How did he get to this place? How can we follow him to this place? Now, ironically, Caleb's very name implies a difficult and inauspicious beginning in life. The word Caleb literally means the dog. Did you have a friend when you were a kid that you were like, you're a dog? I mean, it's not a good way of referring to a friend. Know what I'm saying? Furthermore, not only was he kind of insulted, it became his name, but his father, Jephuna the Kenizzite, Kenizzites are not Israelites. When Israel was asked to move into the promised land of Canaan, there were all kinds of enemies. Hittites, Amorites, Jebusites, Moabites, Kenizzites. Caleb's ancestry is of one of the warring enemy peoples. So here's a guy who has a name which means you're a dog. And his father is an enemy of Israel. He's an outsider. He's a Gentile. Can you see how Caleb would have had a difficult start in life? I feel some compassion and sorrow for the boy, Caleb. He must have had a rough go of it. I've been reminded a handful of times just this week of how fragile and easily damaged all of us are in childhood. How we all must face, don't use this word too lightly, how we all must face demons. that this world throws at us. If you are a teenager or a young adult sitting here today and you are facing something as difficult as being a dog from the outside, 
If you are a teenager or young person who is sitting here today and you are facing something huge, you are facing your own personal demons of some kind, please know you are not alone. For every older person that is in this place, there is a story of someone who has faced something as difficult and crazy as what you are facing now. We grown-ups are not all that together. Can I get an amen? <laughs> that was all the old people saying amen. And if you are young and if you are facing down something like Caleb had to face down when he was young, thank God, young people, that you are facing it now and not when you're 52 years old. If you somehow repress and delay your troubles, they just pop up later in life, bigger and badder and worse because they've been incubating inside for decades. So for those of us who are old, if we have the opportunity to help a young Caleb to listen, that's a gracious thing to do. We all carry some name or some shame or some label from our past. Now here's the good news. If Caleb is a dog, if he was born a dog from the wrong people, our God is in the dog adoption business. God is in the name reclamation business. Our God is in the renaming business. Caleb is one of 12 spies who are chosen. And the two who actually behave like they have faith in God, one is named Joshua. His name means the Lord saves. Awesome name. The other one who behaves like a real child of God is Caleb, the dog, the son of the enemy. What matters is not the names or labels or family history of these guys. What matters is knowing you're a child of God and acting like it. Caleb behaves like a true child of Israel. He is controlled by faith rather than fear, and therefore, he is a true son of Israel. It was not his family connections that brought forth God's blessing on Caleb. Caleb's wholehearted loyalty to God's promises made Caleb's heart open to receive the blessing of God, to receiving the realized promises of God. Sticking with God, having faith, is just another way of saying, I'm blessed by God. They're two sides of the same coin. You know what I'm saying? Wholeheartedly sticking with God is the blessing of God. It's not like you can have partial faith and be like, oh, God, bless me. Like, give me all kinds of good stuff. Like, it doesn't work that way. If you're only one-eighth of a heart with God, like, that's, that's it. If your whole heart is with God, that is the whole blessing. You're connected. Being wholeheartedly connected to God is like putting a kayak in a river and going downstream. Being less than wholeheartedly connected to God is like putting a kayak in the river and trying to paddle with all your might upstream. 
it's going to wear you out and wreck you before too long. The word Caleb itself moved from a slur, an insult, to a name of respect and esteem among the Hebrew people because of this guy's faith. I mean, still, there's Caleb's in our church 3,000 years later because it became a name of faith and respect. Caleb is not the only one. The woman who started this church, Catherine Tessman, she was a divorcee in Chicago in the 1920s. Culturally, that was not cool almost 100 years ago. Imagine what she must have been called. That woman. Sleazy. Probably worse. When I came into the world, my siblings mentioned repeatedly that I was a mistake. My parents, my own mother, told me when I was a small child I was a mistake. Let me talk to you about Jesus for a moment. Jesus was the child of an unwed mother. His life could have been defined by this. Imagine what the neighborhood kids called him. I mean, there is a word in every culture for the child of an unwed mother, and it's not a good word. But Jesus' life transcended this. Jesus of Nazareth was more self-consciously loved by God than any other human being that there has ever been. I mean, God's voice broke the heavens at crucial times in Jesus' life to speak to him when he was baptized on the mountain of transfiguration right before he faced uh, the final sacrifice of his life. And God's voice said, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. You are worth listening to. Jesus shook the label of being the child of an unwed mother, and now we know him as the only begotten son of God. Like, that's quite a transition. Here's the crazy thing about the sinful world we live in. The names, the labels, the wounds, like, that all produces scarring. And you can see scars, Right? They're not hard to locate. That's what pain does. It makes scars. But strength, not talking about physical strength, your inner strength, spiritual strength, the kind of strength that the grace of God pours in to overwhelm our past, like it's totally invisible. You can't see it. Every once in a while, you can see it if you squint or maybe through tears, but like you, you can't really see it. Catherine Tessman shook the label of that woman and became the mother of this church. Like God did that. I like to think I've shaken the label of being my family's mistake. 
And the very fact that I was a mistake gives me more of a sense of purpose. Because even though my siblings and my parents don't want me, like, like God wanted me to exist, so here I am. And this is how it works. The very thing that could have like fatally wounded us or taken us down is the very place in which God can pour his special, customized grace and strength and power. Can you name where your scar tissue is? Can you bring up your name or your label this morning? And can you imagine, or maybe it's already your testimony, that God is meeting you right there and that he has the desire to whisper and rename you and pour in strength where others would only have hurt. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite. It would have been the lousy name 3,000 years ago, but has become an awesome symbol of how God can change a person. On one occasion, Jesus said this. He asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then pointing around at his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. If you are wholeheartedly connected to God and following Jesus, Jesus is proud to look at your life and say, brother, sister. And if Jesus calls you brother or sister, it means that God Almighty himself has adopted you into the family because you're Jesus' bro or you're Jesus' sister. Notice that Jesus says that we can take comfort when our faith turns into action. Like, that's how we can be sure we've been adopted in. For sure, the waters of baptism, like, that's God signing his name on the adoption papers of our lives. Boom, there it is. How do we know if we're in the family? Because Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, faith is an action word. Love is an action word. Wholehearted spiritual people are action figures. In the best Christmas movie ever made, there is a character called the Grinch. And in his moment of transformation, when he experiences grace and it is renamed, his tiny little grinchy heart, boop, 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 grows three sizes that day. You remember this? I mean, he becomes a wholehearted Grinch. He takes off his phony evil Santa Claus costume, and he can simply be himself for the closing of that little cartoon movie. It's like the best biblical parable ever. He experiences grace and becomes himself by becoming wholehearted. When, be, <laughs> when we live wholeheartedly, when we start following God, Jesus often literally will give us a new name. 
This is why traditionally in the church, you had the name your parents gave you, and then you had a Christian name, like your baptized name, your redeemed name. I mean, in America, we've been to, we've become too uh, personal decision-centric to go with that any longer, right? Like, if I, if I gave my child a name as a parent, like, who's the church to rename them? We don't do that anymore. It's not a bad idea. Anyway, when Jesus had these two disciples, James and John, he gave them a nickname. In the Bible says it's Boanerges. It means the Thunder Boys because they made so much noise. It was Jesus' gentle way of saying, you guys are starting to follow God. You're a couple of loud mouths. If you hang out with me, things are going to change. Jesus gave Simon the name Peter. Simon, who Jesus knew well in advance, would deny him and waffle at the moment of truth. And Jesus gives him the name Peter, which means the rock. How awesome that he did that three years in advance. This guy in the Bible, Saul, the most judgmental persecutor who ever existed, becomes Paul, the apostle of, hey, everybody is included in God's grace. Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free people, men, women, young, old. How could this be? God changed his name and changed his ways. If you can recognize that Jesus has named you, maybe it's the same name your parents gave you, but that Jesus has named you, that's when you know that it's really all going to be all right. On Easter Sunday, there was a woman who was weeping, crying her eyes out because she thought her rabbi was dead. I mean, Easter had already happened. She just couldn't see it yet. I mean, the greatest thing in the world had just happened on the very ground she's standing on, and she is crying her eyes out over grief and loss. She can't see it yet. And then Jesus simply renames her. And by saying this word, Mary, the whole universe turned over. That is all it takes in the grace of God. Just your name spoken by Jesus and the whole universe can flip over. Can you imagine that happening to you? Jesus whispering your name. That story of Easter Sunday morning, I think, is an awesome symbol, an awesome parable of what our lives are like. When we come in here on Sunday morning, we bring a whole Pandora's box of craziness and trouble, hurt, pain, sin, immorality. I mean, it all comes with us. But someday... Someday, like all the bluegrass songs say, here's what's going to happen. Speak personally. Here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die from this life. 
and the eternal, lasting part of me, I can't locate it. I mean, it's not this. But the eternal part of me is going to meet up with Jesus Christ. And here's what I hope and pray happens. I get into the presence of Jesus, and he says something like, Greg, my brother. And that will be more than enough to set everything right. More than enough to set my crooked little heart right. More than enough to heal all my sins and all my diseases. Can you imagine that happening to you? It's going to. It's going to. To some degree, this can start in this life. But someday, whether you want to call it the sweet by and by or the place you're flying away to, someday, this is where we shall be. Wouldn't it be good in the meantime, brothers and sisters in Christ, to act with integrity to who we already are in God's eyes? Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh God, sitting in this room today, we recognize that we are people who have been named and labeled by others, yes, by our own sense of failure and inadequacy, by the sin of the world, but oh God, by your grace and by your sovereign choice, help us accept that we have been renamed and reclaimed and redeemed and reconfigured just like Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. And God, give us faith to know that your renaming, redeeming choice trumps everything else in human history. That your renaming, redeeming choice trumps our past and gives us hope and a future. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen.